This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two back-to-back crossover events that ruin your favorite monthly book. Brian Murray. Excelsior. And Paul Jaisley. Hello. <laughs> welcome welcome to i read comic books this is episode 261 um i'm really glad that you're both here to talk with me about comic books today because we're talking about something wild and crazy something that i don't think people would ever expect us to talk about <laughs> but before we get into that i have to ask two very important questions just how have you been and how have comic books been let's start with you brian uh i've been pretty good um it's been a hell of a week here in the u.s mm-hmm. we're all yeah. very tired <laughs> Yeah. Uh comics wise, uh I haven't read anything new in a while, but I did I did pick up uh New Avengers Illuminati on Hoopla. Ooh. Yeah, that's uh Brian Michael Bendis, Brian Reed, and uh Jim Cheung. I, I feel like this book took a different approach to the concept of a graphic novel than most do. Cause normally when you get a graphic novel, it's like, oh yeah, this this these these five or six issues are an arc or they tell a story together. Let's put mm-hmm. them together. Not so with illuminati uh it's basically because the the illuminati we're talking about here is the the marvel illuminati so mm-hmm. professor x dr strange iron man namor reed richards and black bolt mm-hmm. and this is just like scenes of them together it it, it <laughs> it's sort of like a background almost like meta narrative I, I guess to yeah. marvel comics over the last x years but they do not like tell a story together. It's just like if you were reading Secret War and then you read this issue, this would make sense to you. Mm-hmm. And because I did not do any of those things, um, this book was, uh, it had no impact on me whatsoever. It was very pretty. Oh, <laughs> it was a very good looking book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I just I, I took nothing away from it. <laughs> my my inner old school Marvel fanboy when I first started to really get into Marvel comics is 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 he's raging right now inside <laughs> of my the carapace that I call my body. <laughs> um, the, it, I only say that because I remember reading this book when it came out and I thought it was the coolest fucking thing that Marvel had ever produced. I was like, Brian Michael Bendis, you're the most beautiful genius I've ever experienced. Cause I was like, what a book that, that it ties everything together and like adds some sort of like, you know, afterthought hindsight, um, like connection to make it all work. Um, it definitely feels like a book that was meant to like retcon, but also like lead things forward because the Illuminati thing doesn't go away. And yeah. I, I just remember loving this book. So it's a bummer. Cause I think like you said, you have to have read all those other stories to really get it. And I had done at least enough, wikipedia reading as well as comic book reading to really enjoy that so um but yeah it's a beautiful book right it's beautiful looking it's it's just not a book for casual fans and i don't i don't say that to be like you know filthy casuals or anything like that just like (laughs) it is it is a book for people who have read everything right right (laughs) It's one of those books that I think just it you feel really cool if you know everything, but otherwise you're kind of just like, why was this moment relevant? You know, I totally can understand that. Uh, what about you, Paul? Um, yeah, I had a pretty good week, uh, you know, all things considered. Uh, for those wondering, the weather report for West Michigan, it's a beautiful weekend here. Lots of sunshine, golden sunshine, and blue skies. And that sunshine felt just a little bit warmer this weekend. I don't know what it is, you know, but uh, something in the air. Um. In terms of comics, I, I finally did it. Uh, I started reading Sandman. Um, I 
thanks to the miracle of Hoopla, I was able to read Sandman Volume 1, Preludes and Nocturnes. Um, <laughs> everyone knows what Sandman is, I, I take it. It's the Neil Gaiman series from the late 80s, ran through about to the mid-90s. And it's uh, one of those books that people that don't normally read comics have read. You know what I mean? It's like... Uh, oh, yeah. It, so... What's interesting for me to come to it this late in the game, having never read it, just know it by reputation, I was actually really surprised how quickly I got into it. You know what I mean? I didn't really know anything about mm-hmm. the story, what to expect, but it's it's a it's a well made comic, and it definitely has the late eighties uh, quote unquote art comic vibe to it at times. But it's also deeply rooted in DC continuity, which I was kind of surprised by. Again. You associate Sandman with Vertigo, but it started about five years before Vertigo was even a thing. So technically is in DC continuity, a lot like Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, you know, where it feels outside mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. self, but it's part of it. So reading a book by Neil Gaiman uh, and wonderful artwork by Sam Keith, who of course did the Max, uh, I was surprised. I didn't realize he did the first couple issues of Sandman. Um, and then Mike Dringenberg takes over art duties. To see a book like that where... Uh, obviously, John Constantine shows up. That's not a surprise. The Demon Etrigan, yeah, I figured he would show up. But then there's an issue where they run into uh, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle. And uh, the Martian Manhunter was like, what's going mm-hmm. on here? So it's interesting to come to it from the superhero side of things, where I imagine a lot of people have read it, have zero interest, or even know who Mr. Miracle is. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I'm, It's funny because I think a book like that has so much continuity built mm-hmm. into it, but people roll with those punches just to say like, I've read Sandman, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. And there's definitely, How do we get people to do that for X-Men is what I'm wondering. <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the hurdle to get over is pretty short. I mean, to yeah. get into Sandman, even if you don't know, you know, who the original Sandman is. I mean, Wesley Dodd shows up for one scene or there's references to the old um, like house of mystery title that DC published, you know, the horror comic stuff. So it's all in there. And it's really interesting. Again, I think the comparison to Morrison might be fairly obvious, the Doom Patrol connection, because they're both books written by British authors who came to America. I guess, well, uh, Morrison is Scottish, but you know what, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. They both come from that um, uh, English comic book traditions, writing their first big American book. Um, it has a certain tone and pacing that's similar to both. And then Mike Dringenberg, when he takes over Sandman, he did at least one issue of Doom Patrol, so the art was somewhat recognizable to that style. So... Um, yeah, so I'm into it. I, I'm, I'm digging Sandman. I'm going to keep going. Uh, so don't be surprised if you start seeing me wear all black and start smoking clove cigarettes and stuff, you know, to really tap into that goth teenage angst that I feel when I read Sandman. Right. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need pictures of Paul and eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, and, you know, I will say I'm, I'm sorry I burned you up pretty bad on our Instagram. Um, you responded to it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, in our stories. If you're, if you're not if you're not following us on Instagram, this is our shameless plug for the week. Um, get on there. And sometimes I ask questions and I just burn people up with their comic picks. So um, <laughs> you want to get made fun of. Come on down. <laughs> yeah, that's an inv- quite the invitation there, Mike. Um, the, yeah, yeah. The other book I read this week, I again, am woefully behind on my monthly comics. I'm trying to catch up on my floppies. Uh, but I did make time to read Crossover Number 1, the new image book by Donny Cates, art by Jeff Shaw, colors by Deke. Uh, Kniff and letters by John J. Hill. And um, it was fine. I don't, I don't know. Um, I feel like after reading this book and reading the first six issues of his Thor run, Donny Cates might not be my cup of tea. Uh, I know mm-hmm. he's the the hot new kid on the street, so to speak, in comics. Um, but there's something about this book that, first off, 
the idea for crossover is literally the same thing from the series that Mark Miller and Tommy Lee Edwards did back in 2008, Marvel 1985, where comic book characters from the comics show up in the real world and people have to figure out how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's literally the same thing. On top of that, I think Cates is trying to do from obviously as the title implies a sort of anti-event like I'm this is my meta take on the superhero event comic and it kind of falls into the trap of it that a lot of events fall into which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show but the thing where it keeps telling you that this is important without actually showing you why you know so a lot of the the dialogue or the the narration that the main character is sort of giving is hinting at oh this is big this is important this is serious, but none of that really translates to me, the reader, while, while I'm reading it. You know, it's the telling instead of showing thing, which yeah. uh, maybe that's a, something, uh, uh, a particular narrative or uh, a tick of Kate's that I'm noticing now when I'm reading this. But it's one of those books that I grabbed the first issue. Uh, I was curious about it. It's a lovely looking book. I really like Jeff Shaw's artwork, but it's definitely going to be mm-hmm. one that I'm waiting to read and trade at some point down the road instead of following month to month. So, yeah. Yeah. When when hoopla can again pull, <laughs> pull your ass out of the fire exactly so yeah well it, it's interesting because like I've I've heard a lot of different takes on this is this is like the most hyped indie book I think I've seen in a long time yeah um and the the thing that I took away from it was you know I I read it and I was like okay there's a lot of kind of problematic thought and imagery in here <laughs> but I wonder if if Kate's is just going for super edgy super like this feels like a book that mark miller would have written in 2008 and now that you say it he fucking wrote that book already exactly Uh, and i didn't even (laughs) i I didn't even put that together but like the 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 way that this book is structured it it feels really edgy like it's trying to like really set you off with things that you know in common like in the common world like there was you know god hates capes or something like that that whole you know against whatever the the ridiculous religious folks out there do with the the big signs i can't remember what their name is but um yeah like a lot of stuff like that you know we've got that uh verheimer was right t-shirt that the guy was wearing mm-hmm. um and they even call that stuff out in the book and it, it i feel like this is a book that you know the first issue probably doesn't actually sell the book itself right. it's the trade that's going to actually get people on board yeah. so yeah i'm I'm pretty much in the same boat as you and uh, uh you know vg on our on our discord posted a really interesting article from um xavier files that i would recommend anyone read if they read this book and they want like some some folks folks to actually pick and prod at this book and kind of kind of break it down um the article is pretty good i i, I agreed with a lot of the, the bits, bits in there that they've written hmm. uh, okay. but yeah i kind of in the same boat as you paul I'm probably gonna wait for the trade on this if i'm gonna keep reading it at all yeah yeah uh yeah i don't want to get too deep into it obviously we have more to discuss but it's like that the the idea of it being a critique of superheroes as a genre it's like so heavy-handed that it's hard to actually take it seriously as a critique if that makes sense so yeah. i'm curious about the article i'll talk that up is that what it was? so yeah, I, I, is that what it was actually about? Um, okay, uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to be too too shitty about it. Right. Uh, yeah. Let me just move on and talk about books that that I read instead. How about that? Um, so yeah, this week was um, forever. Uh, as as people have said, I think Danny in the Discord has said that this is the longest Tuesday he's ever been a part of because it was four or five days long. Um, 
but yeah, I did sit down and read some comics, uh, trying to distract myself from, you know, the, the whole election and everything. And I did read uh, Colonel Weird number one, uh, Colonel Weird Cosmogog number one, I should say. This is by Jeff Lemire and Tyler Crook. Um, honestly, this is probably one of the most beautiful books in the collection of the Black Hammer universe that um, Lemire has done. Um, there was the, the Dr. Star book that he did that was like fall out of your chair, beautiful, but in like a kind of like a grotesque art style way, whereas Tyler Crook's art is just it feels totally different and it's it's wonderful like it's so crisp but also it's all like painterly at the same time i don't know how to describe it i'm not an art critic i just went to the louvre once um but yeah this this book is super easy to read like i was i couldn't believe that i'd gotten to the end of my 25 pages um when i got there uh colonel weird if you don't know is a character out of time and space he kind of represents a lot of different like comic book characters and prose characters he's like a 50s era spaceman that went into space and found this other world that has allowed him to travel between various dimensions as well as time um so as this book goes on you see him kind of experiencing from his his perspective like the way that he sees the world where he sees everything all at once he's both experiencing and living and like revisiting his life all at the same time and this book it seems like is probably going to answer some of these questions of how does colonel weird play into the big event that spawned the entire black hammer series um we know the answer from that so if you haven't read all of the black hammer like core books or core book i should say which is black hammer followed by black hammer age of doom um Go read those to actually get the answer. But how Colonel Weird came to be as part of the team of this like Black Hammer verse, as well as why he did the things that he did, I think are going to be explained in this book. Um, so, yeah, I, I really love this. T Tyler Crook, you probably know him from Harrow County and the Sixth Gun, Witchfinder. Um, he delivers this depiction of ever flowing circular time throughout smashing flashbacks and an attention to character detail that swirls into this perfect reflection of the character known as Colonel Weird. Um, his his art is impeccable in this issue, and I cannot wait to read the rest of it. Mm. Uh, so if you if again, if you haven't read Black Hammer, don't pick this book up. This book is <laughs> going to make no sense, but go read those Black Hammer books. They're incredible. And then pick this one up, because after you've read the main story, you can pick up any of the side stories because um, they don't really bleed too much into each other beyond that but yeah this one is amazing and i'm glad that we're still getting more black hammer books after the original series um but yeah the, the other thing that i want to talk about really quick is i read festival of champions number one through five this is by Sijin tombo and I, I sent this to brian a while back brian i don't know if you read this um, no i forgot I all about it until okay. i am due earlier this week <laughs> Yeah, so uh, <laughs> this is a Pokemon doujinshi, which follows three characters known as Red, Blue, and Green as they make their way through the Indigo League, aka the ultimate challenge for Pokemon Masters. So <laughs> this is a fan fiction manga story created by uh, Sejin Tombo uh, that only gets released like once or twice a year. Like each chapter gets released like once or twice a year because it's done like in an amateur kind of published online through this site through called Pixiv, um, where you can kind of publish anything. And it, it ranges from all sorts of types of stories, from fan stories to original stories to like very, very horny, naked porn stuff. Um, but it's a lot of it is manga. And so this series is like very well celebrated because it's a very incredible depiction of Pokemon. Like I've never read any Pokemon manga, don't really have any interest in like the anime. Like I played the games, um, but I don't know. Someone said this was good and I started reading it and it's 
incredible to see like this depiction of the Pokemon like combat system done in a tournament, which is a great way to do shonen manga. But you get to meet all of these various characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love a tournament. I mean, we're going to talk about tournament arcs in a moment. Um, but yeah, th- this book is great because it, it shows you like different Pokemon trainers and their relationships to their Pokemon and how those varying relationships change the way that they fight other Pokemon trainers. It's like if you have a modicum of interest in Pokemon beyond just like the RPG element, this this manga is fantastic. I don't know about the regular Pokemon, but yeah, this is this is great. But I will say for the record that this is not official. Like this is not official in any capacity. You can't read this from like a publisher because it's not technically published, at least not in the United States. There are like some doujinshi publishers that publish fan creations and it's there's like a licensing thing. I don't know how it works, but Japan is a lot more forgiving when it comes to people taking IP and then recreating it and telling their own stories because it's like a celebration of the original work versus like someone competing. Um, at least that's how it's seen. Um, and I guess for those of you who don't know, Dojinshi is a self-published manga or magazine, usually by quote amateur creators, but in some cases can be done by serious pros publishing fan stories out of their normal business or under pseudonyms. Um, and yeah, so most of the Dojinshi I've seen have lives in this world of fan fiction and a lot of them are very horny or porny, but this one is not. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to read this, just do a Google search. You can read it from some semi-official channels. Um, yeah, there's, it's a whole thing. Talk to me after the show, and we can we can figure it out. But this is really good if you if you want to read anything about Pokemon. And I pass it over to Brian because I know he's he's big on Pokemon. Yeah, I'm I'm a lifetime fan of the series. <laughs> um, never actually read any of the manga either. I should I should get on that because I've heard there, that Pokemon Adventures is very good. Yeah, there and there's plenty of Pokemon manga. Um, cause I'm pretty sure they've been publishing it since it came out as a game in 96. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you've got a one piece level of Pokemon or one piece length of Pokemon manga that you can read. Speaking of one piece, I want to give my quick update. So Xander, could you roll the clip? What a cheeky little punk. As of this week, I am on chapter 970 of, of one piece. So I read another 10 chapters this week taking my time 994 i think came out today we're getting there folks i'm gonna get to 1000 when 1000 comes out (laughs) um i'm just just want to savor it you know uh (laughs) anyways let's move on let's talk about comic books that are coming out very soon comic books are dropping on november 11th 2020 what are you both excited for this week i'm gonna bounce it back over to paul well i am excited for Bill and Ted are doomed, number three. This is the mini series that's a follow up to the film Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and is also leading into the recently released and very wonderful Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um, this is by Evan Dorkin and Roger Langridge, uh, and again, Evan Dorkin did the '90s comic Bill and Ted's Excellent Comic Book, which uh, you can tell he really likes these characters because this book is goofy and it's silly but there's a charm to the goofiness that the movies also have it's like these two guys that are basically they they appear to be morons but you know that they do something that saves the world and they not they're not sure when they're actually going to do it or how to do it they're figuring out as they go and it's like that on top of it being a book that is so funny like i think it's really charming in that regard um, and this mm-hmm. current series, you have uh, Bill and Ted and their band, Wild Stallions, which includes uh, their wives and uh, Death, the Grim Reaper, plays bass in the band. 
they um, travel to Europe, of course. of course. They travel to Europe and they're doing this tour that's failing. Uh, they know that at one point they have to write the song that unites all of humanity into uh, harmony and peace. But uh, they're not sure how that's going to work since no one seems to be enjoying their gigs at all. Uh, they get booked for a big metal festival in issue two. And the headlining band, Vile Empire, is so upset that this false metal band, Bill and Ted's Wild Stallions, are playing. It causes a giant riot that Bill and Ted have to escape. So, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> it's fun. And I really love it. I have, again, growing up watching those movies, I have such a fondness for Bill and Ted as characters. And to see them taken, quote unquote, seriously... Or at least someone capturing what makes the films fun on the comic book page is, is it's really enjoyable. So I'm digging it. That's awesome. Who's who's publishing this book? Uh, I believe it's Boom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It's either Boom or Dark Horse. Right. I just wanted to flip that oh, it is, really quick. You're right. It is Dark Horse. I'm sorry. Apologies to the. Uh, oh, Dark okay. Horse, yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, Brian, what about you? What are you excited for this week? Uh, this week we've got We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number three. Uh, this is the ongoing sci-fi epic from Al Ewing and Simone de Mayo. Uh, I am loving this book so far. Like a, a lot of the times when a book has like a big mystery, you know, in this case, it's where did these giant space gods come from? Um, a lot of the times these mysteries aren't ever really meant to be solved, you know, like mm-hmm. it. It's just there to be like, whoa, man, what if? Like, can you imagine? <laughs> and that. Sorry, you're killing me over here. Uh, that, that's fine. I've been trying to kill you for years. <laughs> uh, uh, th- this book ha- feels like those answers are out there. Like, it feels like, you know, why do we only find them when they're dead? There is a reason for that. And the book feels like. Like the characters are trying to find that out, and it it feels like you know Ewing and DeMeo know why, mm-hmm. and so. it's just a matter of us finding out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at this point, like we're getting to a point where I will I will trust Al Ewing mm. with my life. Yeah. Like, yeah, if Al Ewing is writing a book, uh, it's going to be good. I might not like it, but it's definitely <laughs> going to be good. Yeah, I'm liking this book too. Again, I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. The the background mystery that's going on with these giant space gods you know it's that feels like such a big high concept al ewing thing you know it's this book and immortal hulk i'm just like i'm blown away at the way he's able to balance a really sort of small intimate story up front with this big mystery behind it balancing it and make it compelling Mm -hmm. month to month so yeah it's perfect yeah Yeah, i mean does does a great job of like keeping that ratio of question to answer yeah, yeah 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 You know, you guys got to check out that Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm pretty sure Cinco recommended it to me. And holy smokes, that book will make you hurt. It makes you feel bad. And then you you got to keep reading it. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to need you to get a lot more specific with that. Because (laughs) there are decades of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, we'll talk about it in the break. But um, for me this week, I am excited for uh, Marauders 15, question mark. Um, this is Gary Dugan with Stefano Caselli on art. This is Exoswords part 15. Um, all I have to say, because if you're not reading at this this Dawn of X, this big fucking X of Swords story, like, I don't really want to say much because right now we're at like the tipping point of shit's about to get real. So um, I'm not going to be too specific, um, but I am excited because with X of Swords part 14, I was kind of like, oh, when are we getting to the story? And then it turns out that the story was we had to wait 12 chapters or whatever, because this is just one giant shonen manga. Um, 
And then we finally get into it with the X of Stasis or X-Men Stasis one-shot that they did, where we finally get the reveal of what the other side is doing and how things are coming to be. And then there was this very interesting, heartbreaking moment with Apocalypse. Um, yeah, I, I can't even really be mad about this whole event. I think a couple of weeks ago, it may have come off that I was very mad about X of Swords. Um, and really, I think I was just frustrated with the amount of buildup. But now that we've actually gotten some delivery, like we've gotten the other shoe to fall for some of the story beats, it all starts to click in my head. Um, and this issue is a direct follow-up from last week. Like 14 came out last week and 15 is coming out this week for a specific reason. Because the end of 14 was so massive that we needed a follow-up immediately. We couldn't just cut to another book. So I'm glad that they're doing it that way. Um, and honestly, though, this this really is just a giant shonen book. Like Everyone's getting swords. We're all going to fight. The only way to make this more of a shonen manga would be to make it a tournament. Um, like if it was one-on-one -on -one and then everyone had to fight until the last bit. And you know that it would just be magic versus whoever the baddest mofo is on the other side. But um, I, I really don't want to try to actually simplify this series down to its base parts like that because I think that there is a lot of really good character development that's going on unlike the opening of dawn of x and the house of x and powers of 10 um the writers of the books of the various books inside of x of swords know how to write the characters in those books mm. versus jonathan hickman just kind of putting people in places as pawns in order to deliver the final story beat that he wanted which i'm not mad about because it did get us into this era of x-men but at the same time i i went back and reread it a little while ago and it was kind of just like this you could have replaced any character with any other character with the, with a few exceptions and it would have been the exact same story um hmm. so yeah I, i'm glad to see that like we're getting a lot of character development alongside of the x of sword storyline like gary dugan Jeannie howard jonathan hickman everybody else who's working on all these books i think they're writing very good books and the art each week is impeccable like i don't know how i'm glad that they've got you know half dozen artists to swap into because otherwise this whole series would fall apart but yeah i'm i'm excited to see where this goes i know that something real bad's going to happen that's going to bork up the whole dawn of x quote utopia that they have but i won't make any predictions even though i have some um so for now i'm i'm willing to see how things go given one the cover of marauders 15 and given how marauders 14 ended i think this is going to be a very interesting beginning to the end of the the x of swords storyline so i'm i'm pretty hyped who has the biggest sword mike well <laughs> technically it would uh, hold on <laughs> you know we're I, I there is a there is actual i don't have all the pages in front of me uh -huh. but there is actual stats on every single store sword including like length and power and all these other things awesome so all that's all that data is out there um, so we can actually get a definitive answer because, again, this is very shonen manga and they have to be very precise and intricate in order to make sure that everyone knows how powerful everything is. Because are they selling action figures? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, but there is a biggest sword and there is a baddest sword and there is a most evil sword and a coolest sword. Okay. And it, uh, the, well, most the most evil sword. sword is Soul Edge. Okay. First of all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay anyway so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break um and when we come back we're gonna talk about i guess we're gonna ask the question is it worth revisiting big two comics like is it worth revisiting big two events and uh when we come back we're gonna be talking about that show this week we are talking about the idea the question 
is it worth revisiting big two event comics i'm curious to know what paul and brian have to say <laughs> if only because they asked me the question and i refuse to answer until i hear what they have to say um before we get started though i do want to say if you are a very cool person and you'd like to hang out with us we are trying to record our episodes live on discord every sunday 1 p.m eastern standard time so if you can make it in the future make sure to jump on the discord you can go to ircbpodcast.com slash discord and then you can come hang out with us as we record these episodes live so shout out to nick and danny who are in the chat right now just zinging us non-stop <laughs> um but yeah, let's let's answer this question. Is it worth revisiting big two event comics? You know, Paul, Brian, like I said, you guys kind of came to me with this idea. Um, what 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 digs? What 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 brings you to to this question? You know, I this what gives is what I was trying to what say. Gives um, what gives, Mike is uh, and what takes are big event comics. They give and they take. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. So I was looking at you know what I'm pulling these days. I'm getting a lot of the death metal tie-ins and the death metal you know, crossover that DC is doing. Um, I, I, I mm -hmm, literally mm -hmm. read crossover number one this week. I see you talk about, you know, X of swords and there's empire that I think guess recently finished at Marvel. We're in the midst of like a big event cycle. It feels, I know DC has got a couple big ones coming up the next few months. And it really made me wonder like what makes these events uh, compelling to begin with other than that they're just important and what would make them worth revisiting? Cause Mm -hmm. As much as I'm enjoying uh, some of metal and death metal, I guess, uh, I can't imagine going back and rereading it, um, if that makes sense. So it's like I wanted to know if there was something that made events compelling enough to go back and revisit what that might be. And I also realized as I was posing that question to you two, I realized that Brian's probably the outlier who might not have read a bunch of event comics. So the, the other question is what would make event comics appealing to people who maybe don't buy them? So. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i've i've read a few event comics and the thing that always draws me in is is a character i'm already interested in involved in this event in a big way mm. so like i i've always for whatever reason been a huge spider-man fan um so like the thing that got me to read civil war like the original marvel civil war was that like the whole the whole thing about like Peter Parker revealing his secret identity to the world, <laughs> and it was like a, a whole huge thing in universe, and that made me curious about like, well, what else is going on in there? And then you know, like, uh, Giant Man got killed by a Thor robot clone or something. <laughs> something. <laughs> it was a lot, but I, I had a good time with it. I, that's interesting because I, you know, I, Civil War. I only went back to reread maybe within the past two years. So it's, you know, maybe like a decade almost after it's been published. Um, and it's interesting because one of the issues I have with event comics is that they're very time specific. Obviously they're dealing with the continuity that's in place at that time. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what they are attempting to do is both uh, change things uh, and things will never be the same, quote unquote, after the event. At the same time, they can't change things <laughs> that much. It's the illusion of change that Stan Lee talked about. That's what comic, fans, comic book fans want, the illusion of change rather than actual mm -hmm. change. And mm -hmm. event comics are have that double bind where it's like, we have to make it feel like it's big and important. At the same time, it can't be that big or that important where it changes everything. And there are very few events I think you could actually point to and say like, well, this clearly changed the way the continuity works. I mean, Crisis on Infinite Earths is an obvious example, but something like Civil War, going back and rereading it so many years after the fact, I was like, well, none of this really counts anymore. 
Like what, what value does it have to me now? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, cause Spider-Man's secret identity is a secret again. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, but, uh, Brian, uh, but we, you remember the reason why is that, uh, he made a deal with Mephisto and I'm going to reach through this microphone <laughs> and choke the life out of you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's interesting. I, I, I do, you know, I, the, I think the only events that I've actually gone back to reread were like House of M and Civil War. <laughs> and, you know, before we even started talking, Danny in the Discord called that he said Civil War and House of M, 30 minutes done. Um, <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I don't just want to talk about those events. But, you know, House of M, I think, was the first big event that I read um, as I was getting more and more into X-Men. And going back and rereading that now, it's kind of like the only thing that's changed now is Dawn of X. But, like, you could see House of X happening uh, or excuse me, House of M happening like at any time mm-hmm. in the last 15 years before, you know, the Jonathan Hickman takeover of the X-Men, because, you know, if, if you replace Wanda Maximoff, she's the, you know, token char- crazy character with like just any other character that could alter reality, like a Jamie Braddock or, you know, a, a David Haller, um, you could see that happening. Um, and because the, the I think that that storyline is still there, like mutants hate to be persecuted or persecuted. So, Let's make a world where mutants are the dominant, you know, species. And of course, now we have Dawn of X and there's a whole other thing we can talk about there. But um, that book to me is always an interesting and always an interesting read because it it reminds you of the the, the pain that the mutants are constantly feeling and and how like changing that doesn't necessarily fix it. Um, it just creates more problems. But I, I that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's not like I go back and reread this every year, but it's a book that I've reread at least two or three times just because I think it has a lot of interesting pieces for it. And I, I can already hear like the people referencing thought pieces that have come out in response to House of M in the last decade or so. But um, I, I don't know. To me, it's, it's still a, a solid event book, um, mm. just like Civil War. Like Civil War is still a solid book because it puts every character you could possibly think of on the line and draws a huge line in the sand that says, do what you need to do, you know, pick a side. And, you know, I think that was a really great way for Marvel to sell a lot of comic books, say, whose side are you on? Are you on Caps or Iron Man's? And um, yeah, so I don't know. I, th- those books, they make you excited because it's it even going back and reading them because you're like, oh, man, I, I can understand what's on the line for this book. Even if it didn't ultimately change the larger continuity, it's still an interesting read from beginning to end. Uh, I've got thoughts about that when it comes to Secret Invasion and Dark Reign, but that's <laughs> we'll get into, that. get into that. I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, when I was reading comics in the 90s as a teenager, I actually remember event fatigue being a very real thing. And it kind of like turned me off of a lot of mainstream oh, yeah. superhero comics, you know, and that and when I would try to read like Age of Apocalypse, I remember very vividly thinking like, I can't make heads or tails of this, but it feels important. You know what I mean? And so it's not something I've, yeah, I feel yeah. I need to go back and revisit. Um, but when I got back... I mean, that book in particular <laughs> is a jumble. Uh, I mean... Yes. I mean- <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. I remember there being a lot of Chromium covers. That's my main takeaway from uh, Age of Apocalypse. Right, um, right. But, you know, coming back into comics uh, about a decade ago, uh, when... Final Crisis was happening, and when what would that have been? Uh, Secret Invasion was happening. Mm-hmm. I found that stuff more compelling. Obviously, I uh, uh, defaulted to the DC, DC stuff, but looking across the uh, street, so to speak, and seeing that Marvel was basically rolling one event into the next, that felt overwhelming. Even though I didn't read any of them, I was like, "Woof, that's a lot." You know, even though I had zero interest in actually diving in, so I can only imagine what yeah. that was like to read at the time. Well, 
it's interesting because like you know i i linked a i linked a in our notes uh, a wikipedia page is called the events from the modern age of comic books yeah um and you can see that there's an event like every year sometimes oh, yeah. two in one year <laughs> right going from like 2004 to now right there's an event every single year and i think a lot of people are still feeling event fatigue we still feel like there's way too many books you have to buy um even right now like x of swords it's a lot of fucking books to buy (laughs) like i gotta buy every single x book to keep up on this story there's no you just read the main civil war book and you get it and if you read the side stories you get some extra information no this is you gotta read every single one and x-men is notorious for that (laughs) um they've been doing it for for decades um when it when it comes to their crossover events so like i think the event fatigue is still there but i think that readers have just basically decided you know I can skip this whole event and I none of nothing will happen to me. Like I'm not going to feel like I missed anything because I've seen all these other events happen and it, like as much as things change they don't because it's again that illusion of change. Yeah. Um I mean DC's just as bad as Marvel oh, in yeah. that case. Like <laughs> I mean I think from 2004 to now I mean, it doesn't list any major events. I think this this page is a little out of date. But like, you know, Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis, 52, World War Three, Countdown to Final Crisis, Final Crisis, Blackest <laughs> Night, Brightest Day, Flashpoint. Like year, year, year. It's a year after year. It's it's crazy. Um, So I don't know. It's I, that event fatigue definitely, I think, still exists. But um, at this point, it's just a matter of, again, like Brian said, finding your favorite characters, seeing if they're involved in an event, reading that event. And realizing that you can skip over a bunch because like that's what I've decided. I, I can just skip a bunch. I think the last big event I read was was Secret Wars. Um, and if only be, and I remember it was a whole thing on the show where I was like, I'm not going to fucking read this. And then I went back and bought all the issues and <laughs> right. read all of them. Right. Um, and I really liked that one because I thought it was like, this is going to change things. And it did for about a blink of an eye. Um, but what the ideas of that were awesome. And the only reason I got into it is because it focused on Dr. Doom. How do I not read an event that's about the greatest supervillain to ever supervillain? Come on. <laughs> there, There is a, a moment in in that where... And this is a years old story, so I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it. So I guess Secret Wars spoilers, <laughs> uh, where Doctor Doom just fucking vaporizes Thanos. Yeah, like just punches into him, grabs his spine, and then disintegrates <laughs> his body around it. It's the most metal thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and like, that's what makes these events, I think, really fun and yeah. interesting. And I think that's almost enough reason for you to say what if I went back and revisited that, right? Because I, I, I've never, like, the only DC major event that I read recently, I think, was, um, f- uh, f- what's the one, what's, oh, man, I don't even know. Never, I can never remember <laughs> it because Nick told me to read it, and I read it on my TV, and that's all I can remember about it is that I read it, <laughs> I Chromecasted my computer to my TV to read it, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever, but I can never remember what it is, but was um, that Forever Evil? I think it has. I think we were talking we, Forever uh, Evil. Yeah. That's the one. I always want to say Fear itself, but it's Forever, forever Evil. Yep. Thank you. Uh, what's interesting about I think the current state, at least at DC, since that's the side of the street I'm on most of the time, is that uh, events like metal and death metal are almost more standalone feeling since they don't mm-hmm. really cross over into the regular monthly titles anymore. I mean, that was the big thing. I remember being a kid, like if I'm going to read this event it's going to affect every other book. So the books I'm reading month to month suddenly have to have the tie in, you know, and it's kind of annoying, but the way that I think events are structured now is you have the main story in the mini series and there's usually little one shots or mini uh, three issues series or whatever that kind of spin off of it. 
what's weird is I, I lose track of how many there actually are. Like there are so many metal and death metal one shots that come out that I usually skip over since they're six or seven bucks a pop now. It's <laughs> very easy to ignore those and That's, just stick to the yeah. main series, which makes events easier to get into on one hand, but it's also like it almost feels more disposable in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. But but that's but you know to get back to the question yeah. at hand, mm-hmm. do you think after the event is done and you've read, you know, maybe two thirds of it, right? Like this is my issue when I was reading Annihilation was there was so much. There's so much Annihilation. Yeah. It's a huge event and it's really good. It's all really good. Um from what I remember. Um but going back to read that, it's like do I want to undertake that huge swath of comics right. or do I just want to read like the main storyline? And if I want to read the main storyline, what actually does that entail? Am I going to miss anything by not reading these side stories? Um, and like when it comes to something like metal, if you went back to reread it, like do you think that you'd just be satisfied with the main story because you've read some of the side stories or do you think you'd have to go back and reread the whole thing? Um, because when it comes to these bigger events, yeah. it feels like you either read the main story or you read everything all at once, and there's no middle ground. <laughs> and, 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 you know, especially when you're going back to reread. Right. And the the bigger problem sometimes is that um, tracking down the actual physical copies of these books, since the way I have them filed, I, they're not always together at the same place. You know what I mean? So it's like at that right, point, it's right. almost easier just to find a digital collection that kind of organizes everything uh, story wise or narratively to like read the whole story. If, as it is um yeah uh mm-hmm. what's interesting you, you know, bring up metal i had to go back and reread metal before starting death metal because i couldn't remember what actually happened which maybe speaks to the mm-hmm. failure of, the, of that series even though i enjoyed reading it in the moment um that's kind of what we're talking about with events like is it worth revisiting um as to read for enjoyment or as research so that kind of felt like reading it for research you know i have my trade copy of crisis of infinite earths on my bookshelf almost as a reference text because that's like the big archetypal event that laid the blueprint for superhero crossovers. And it's like that book kind of feels almost like a historical uh, part of history rather than an enjoyable story to read beginning to end. You know what I mean, its value is right. different than a, a something like Final Crisis, which probably unsurprisingly is the event I've gone back and reread the most because it feels like a Grant Morrison comic, not so much an event comic. I think a lot of people would say Final Crisis fails as an event because it literally doesn't change anything. And I kind of think that's the point Morrison was trying to make. And that's why I, I like that book. It's it's a Grant Morrison mm-hmm. comic rather than an event comic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I tend to I tend to view event comics in a lot of the same way that I, I view movies. Like there are like some that. there are some movies that I watch just because I want to know what happens in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there are other movies that I watch because I love them. And like, I'll, I'll go back and rewatch, like I'll rewatch, uh, like the original star Wars trilogy. Yeah. Hundreds of times before I die. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I never need to see alien covenant again. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it. I, I like alien movies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought I think that it's it is good for me to know the lore that happened in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I did not really enjoy the experience very much. <laughs> Brian that's the same way that I feel about like like Civil War Two, like Marvel Civil War Two. Sure. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that I have that context, but I'm I'm never gonna read that book again. <laughs> yeah, Brian has just lit Nick on fire yeah. in the Discord chat. Um <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. I think that's actually a really, really good comparison to a lot of these events because there's some of them that are are genuinely good to go back to read. Like yeah. I had really don't have a lot of interest in like Justice League stuff and just a lot of the core DC stuff. Like I'll read things that people recommend me, right? Like if someone says, hey, Mike, you should read this Mr. Miracle book. I hear it's pretty good. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. But like reading something like Forever Evil, I really didn't know an, a lot. But going into that book, it's so well done. Mm -hmm. It's just an enjoyable read. It's like watching a really good, like act, like over the top, super highly budgeted like action film, right? Like if Avatar was actually good. Um, so I I I really <laughs> like with the hot takes yeah, this geez. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think like th that's that's a really good comparison because I don't think that I could see myself going back to read Fear itself. Um but it, at the moment I in the moment I I enjoyed it um enough. Um or a Avengers versus X-Men like that seems like the crossover that never should have happened but mm -hmm. like it was fun enough. It had a really ridiculous side story where it was just like one-on-one -on -one Avengers versus X-Men, like the thing versus rock slide or something like that. Like it just random fights just for the sake of it. And the story, it was broken up into like three fights per issue because Marvel doesn't know how else to write those kinds of stories. So, you know, I, those, those kinds of things are fun, but they're, they're not as like revisitable as something like, you know, like world war Hulk, I think is actually a really interesting story that you could go back and read yeah. or civil war of house of m or even the the faded secret war this is the 2004 2005 written by brian michael bendis secret war where nick fury he kidnaps a bunch of heroes like spider-man daredevil wolverine electra i think mm -hmm. he and a couple of other people and like makes them forget that they went and committed these horrendous crimes in like latveria um or wherever in yeah wherever yeah. dr doom lives i think latveria is actually a country right like latvia latveria whatever um <laughs> yeah that's it, it, a, a crazy book but it's yeah. like a ridiculous espionage book that makes you feel super bad and you're like oh shit nick fury might be the worst character in all of marvel history um despite how quote-unquote cool he is um so yeah i mean like some of those are really good to go back and revisit um uh, but yeah, like just like good movie or bad movies, sometimes you just have to sit through them. Um, yeah, I, I really like that that comparison, Brian. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting too because like um, you know, you're saying like World War Hulk. It's almost like I don't think of that being a crossover event. It's it, it I mean, it affected a lot of books, and it was a big event, quote unquote. But like, it's so focused on a particular character. You know what I mean? Sure. That it's easier to go back and revisit. Um, and I get, don't you remember the big green bannered books? I mean, <laughs> that's Frontline, right, yeah. guys. Do you remember World War Hulk Frontline? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it helps that that like Planet Hulk is just so physically removed from yeah. the rest of the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Hulk coming back to the 616 was such a momentous occasion because of how impactful Planet Hulk was. Mm -hmm. um, having him come back to Earth and essentially say, hey, I'm here to... Um, chew bubblegum and fuck shit up and i'm out of bubblegum <laughs> like that was that's a great moment yeah. as he just starts decimating new york um to to prove a point that like you can't do this to me i'm actually much more than just this this stupid beast of a monster yeah. um because every time someone tries to do something really interesting with hulk like i feel like seven times out of ten it's actually really good and i think like this is exactly one of those cases yeah um yeah. so i'm gonna put like greg pock up there with the, you know al ewing and you know some peter david stuff that he did back in the day um in terms of like actually telling really interesting hulk stories 
should I should clarify, Danny Danny called me out in the Discord. It was Silver Surfer in the comic, not Beta Ray Bill. Beta <laughs> Ray Bill was there um, in the animated movie adaptation from the late two thousands. Okay, okay, sure. Glad we cleared that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, so I I do want to uh, maybe go back and say, you know, it sounds like what we're saying is that events are compelling when they're maybe a little bit smaller feeling. If that's the way, a good way to say it, like you know, if it's focused on a particular character or like there's a, a moment in the book that you have an emotional connection to, you know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. when I think about final crisis, I love a lot of final crisis because I think Morrison plays with some interesting ideas about the DC uh, multiverse and the cosmology of it. And it's the event is triggered by dark side dying and falling backwards through time, which creates a singularity. It's like, it's such a big idea, but there's small moments Mm -hmm. in it that are Mm -hmm. so compelling. Like Batman shoots dark side, uh, with a time traveling bullet from a space gun. It's like, that's the kind of stuff Hell I yeah. want. You know, it feels so <laughs> Hell yeah. it's like, yes. And you like, you fist pump when you see it happen. It's like, that's why events work sometimes. It's like big events <laughs> like that. And you kind of want to go back and revisit that. And then, you know, yeah, it's just as awesome on the fifth reread as it was the first time. Trust me. So, and this is why I love comics. Cause that is both <laughs> awesome. And the dumbest thing I've ever heard yes. someone say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the exact same time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and I think, again, that's that, like, talking about, like, things like an event that I haven't mentioned yet is a Messiah Complex. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but don't read Messiah Complex. <laughs> I loved it. It's amazing. It's like one of the coolest X-Men stories coming out of um, House of M, where there's only so many mutants left um, in the world, and 198 to be specific. And so the first time a new mutant is born... Um, they create this huge explosion up in Alaska and no one knows why, but for some reason, somebody knew that this mutant was going to be born. So a bunch of like agents showed up or there were sleeper agents in the town. I can't remember. And they all end up dying. Um, and so the X-Men show up and they're like, what the fuck's going on? Cable being cable. He says, I saw this future. I need to take this kid and get the fuck out of here. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And so there's this big, huge, like overarching thing where ultimately um, it takes like 20 issues to get to the idea that Cable's going to take this kid to the future. Uh, it's a really long event. But that moment, there's a defining moment between Scott Summers and Cable that like will always live in my head where Cable goes, I have to do this, Dad. And he's like this 50-year-old grizzled man talking to a 35-year-old adult, <laughs> right. right? Like Cable is old and Scott is young. And that's always been the weird thing. Um, <laughs> and he takes this kid into the future, which creates one of the most, in my mind, one of the most important X-Men stories that that came out in that era, right? Between uh, 2008 and probably 2010, where Cable takes this baby into the future and has to raise her. And she, he create, he ends up raising this very amazing girl named Hope, um, who becomes an important character for a hot minute in the X-Men. Um, but the story of their relationship is something super duper powerful. Um, it's, it's uh, Dwayne Straczynski writing some of the best like father daughter comics I've ever read in my entire life. Um, but it all came out of that that event, right? Because I think the thing that also makes these events so powerful in a lot of ways, especially when you go back to read them, is reminding you like of the time when they came out and then the things that actually did change because of those books, right? Because we talk about there's this this mirage or this imagery where they they try to make like there is make it seem like the change is happening. But in some cases they do. <laughs> and I think like Messiah Complex is a perfect example. And I, I want to talk about Secret Invasion as well. But like where you get a couple of different books that spawn out of these events and you're like, holy shit that actually changed things or introduced new characters that became super important um and i think that's that's a perfect example um but yeah I, my whole secret invasion rant i'll wait to, unless you guys have something else you want to talk about 
Um, yeah, I mean, this this is not at all a good transition, but I wanted to make sure I got it in there. <laughs> oh, um, sure. A a crossover that I have gone back and reread multiple times is uh, Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the and I I can't remember when this actually came out. I know that I read it in like 2015, but with me and comic books, it could have come out any time before that. It could have been from 2014, could have been 2009, whatever. Um, but I, I love that book. And again, this is my, my Spider-Man bias showing through. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and my my love of any anyone who has a Spider-Man themed <laughs> costume, basically. <Right. laughs> um, I mean, that, that, that did give us possibly the best superhero movie of the decade yeah in into the spider-verse oh yeah that's uh that's a weird way like it it didn't have a a ton of impact in comics as far as i know Mm -hmm. but i feel like it did because i mean it it, there was a a a series that split off of it that i read and loved and can't remember the name of right now which is on me not the book but it had a, a bigger impact on the world at large mm-hmm. than I think a lot of crossovers did. Uh, right. Spider Warriors. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's – it's interesting to bring that up and it might be discussion for another time. But like the idea that more people have watched Avengers Infinity War than have probably ever read the Jim Starlin, you know – uh, Infinity Gauntlet series that it's based on. So, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, read yeah. Infinity Gauntlet, and, like, I liked it because I liked the Jim Starlin cosmic stuff. But I'm like, you read that book, like, yeah, there's no way the casual reader is going to pick this up and enjoy it. So right. its impact is far bigger than the book itself is, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, that maybe is what well, the conclusion we're kind of drawing here is that, you know, events are... F- they have a purpose because they give fans something fun and exciting to latch on to memorable moments. But it's like the return investment on those moments might be diminishing returns in a lot of cases, unless you have that sort of big uh, emotional connection to make you want to go back and revisit it. So I guess mm-hmm. the answers are comic books mm-hmm. worth comic events worth revisiting is yes, but you know, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I, I do want to say really quick, my 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 little rant about Secret Invasion yeah. and Dark Reign is only is only something I think I brought up a couple of times on the show before. But um, like Secret Invasion to me was a bad event. Like it was seven issues of buildup for like a payoff that was like kind of interesting. Um, but the the fallout of Secret Invasion, where everyone kind of questions like who could actually be, a, you know, a, a scroll. Um, for those of you who don't know, Secret Invasion is about, you know, the scrolls invade 616 universe because they figured out a way to duplicate like everyone's powers. And so you don't know who's a scroll and who's not. So there's this big like post um civil war like mutant registration act thing or excuse me like superhero registration act thing and uh so that's kind of clashing and people have to pick sides and spider-man was on one side and and miss marvel was on another and people are switching sides all the time all the time but secret secret invasion ends and uh, i think at the time like somehow uh harry osborne not harry osborne um uh 
the the actual green goblin um he ends up becoming the head of shield which he renames to hammer and he just has this awful thing where he's hiring all of his bad guy friends to be enforcers to force people to register and um that whole era like i I wouldn't call that a an event but it was like a, a banner like era of comics that basically made everyone feel bad and i thought that that was awesome like every, all the superheroes <laughs> feeling chased and worried and we got this we got the brian michael bendis new avengers run where there was this underground group of avengers like what a cool time to read comic books because it wasn't an event per se so much as it was just like a time in comics right. and i thought that we got some really interesting stuff um out of that out of that time like a l- really good spider-man stories really good avengers stories the x-men books were the same because X-Men are persecuted no matter what. Doesn't matter if there's like if it's Nick Fury or if it's if it's uh you know Nathan. Oh my gosh, I'm to- Norman Osborn. Thank you, Danny. Uh, Norman Osborn in charge. Like they're always being persecuted. I just that was a really fun era. Um, because so it threw up the entire like status quo and actually changed things for a little while until you know Norman Osborn was kicked out. Um. But yeah, I, I really like that. I should go back and just like see if I could find like a, a big series of, of books that have just those dark rain books, because <laughs> I remember just picking up pretty much anything that I could get my hands on yeah. um, th- that was somehow involved in dark rain because it was it was all really, really enjoyable reads. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that I just want to make sure that I got that out because I really like that time and I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, but I don't care because <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's my opinion. Yeah, um, and that's what matters. Yeah. You know, very, so yeah, we we've kind of answered this question. Yeah. But uh, go ahead, Paul. I was gonna say very briefly. Uh, it is kind of funny to go back and revisit that stuff, especially when you're talking about uh, events that actually did bleed into the the main universe, so to speak. You know, which happened more often. Where like mm-hmm. all the books have to reference it. It's always funny to go back and find when you're reading an older series and find the one issue that is the crossover or tie-in issue, and you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. So very brief. I remember when mm-hmm. I was reading um, uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Uh, he has to tie it into uh, the crisis on infinite earths. And you know, he didn't want to do that. So it's just like one panel where John Constantine's talking to Swamp Thing and the, the sky is red in the background. And like Batman runs up to him, like, hey guys, just be careful out here. There's a big uh, event happening and the sky's red. If you didn't notice, stay safe and like runs away. And that's the way he tied it into like, <laughs> it's the funniest thing. It's like the least effort to tie it into the, the event. And it always cracks me up. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well yeah i guess i don't know do you guys have any any final thoughts on on event comics are we going to go back and reread any event comics should we do a series where we just blindly go in to reading event comics like Ooh. no context mm-hmm. we're just going to pick up like age of extinction x-men age of extinction and just see what we can suss out um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i want to make you read final crisis and watch your head explode or listen to your head explode Son on, on air all right yeah. maybe maybe we'll see um yeah, we'll do well, a special Discord live video for that one, <laughs> just so that we can actually see the the poof. Right. We're going to have our, our own actual scanners moment. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, you know, thank you guys for, for this episode. You know, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Ohipoly. You can follow Brian at Brian Hatton. You can follow me at Mike Rappin and the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where I try to post pretty regularly. So, uh, and if you're following us on Instagram, I promise I won't actually just drag you all the time if you give me some comic <laughs> picks. Um, but, you know, we, we do try to post on our stories and stuff to get folks with feedback. So, um, yeah, do that. Follow us on Instagram. I dare you. <laughs> Uh, this show, as well as our many subscriber-only episodes, like the IRCB Movie Club, 
which will be dropping soon, I believe, are powered by fans like you who support us on Patreon. If you want to become a Patreon patron, head over to patreon.com slash Podcast to join. And if you haven't already, please go ahead and rate and review our show. You know, I think we have earned five stars here today. Uh, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're probably there. You can also join us on Discord if you'd like to listen along. Uh, you can do that at ircbpodcast.com forward slash Discord. And uh, make sure to tell your friends about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is a very cool guy. And he edits the show. I want to say thank you to Paul and Brian for being on this episode. Thank you to, to Nick and Danny and everyone hanging out in the Discord. And thank you to everyone out there who listens and, and talks to us on social media and all that stuff about the show. We can't thank you enough. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Danny, I saw you guys were on Discord. Like, I went to bed at, like, 2, and you guys were still on Discord. So, <clears throat> I don't know what the fuck is going on. I <laughs> I, uh, I should have jumped on and been like, you kids go to sleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> Up way uh, past your bedtimes. Yeah, I just started playing Hades last night, and I was like, hey, if you guys want to watch, I'm going to stream on, the, on Discord. And we just were talking shit it was crazy it was awesome um so maybe i have to do that more often when i'm just trying to blast through that game brian i almost beat hades i almost beat him last night i was so close (sighs) what's your what's your god mode percentage up to uh it's at 50 percent. okay because i'm at a point now where i don't lose to hades oh okay okay like i've i've beaten him probably 20 times in a row oh nice nice yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see, to see how the game progresses after that, because I, I do still find it challenging. Part of me wants to turn off God mode and see how far I can get, because um, I was I was getting almost to Elysium without God mode on. So now it's it's been just getting through. So the tartar, get almost, the river almost through the second of four levels. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Elysium's the the third one. Sorry, I thought you said you were getting almost to Elysium. Oh, yeah, yeah, almost to Elysium. Yeah, you're right, you're right. So, yeah, I was basically getting to the Bone Hydra and then losing. Oh, um, Ernie. Yeah. Anyways, totally not related to uh, <laughs> comics. Let's uh, let's do this thing. I, I'm only putting this in here for Xander because he came on and jumped and hung out for a little bit, which was, and he was telling me all the cheater strats on how to cheat in this game, which is get the shield and block forever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, basic mechanics and it's a cheater. It's cheater mode. Um, okay, let's do this thing. <laughs>